Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Well, that is, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I'm so excited. I have a fellow adoptive mom on today as a guest. She's an author as well. Of um, She wrote her memoir about their adoption journey, similar to what I've done. Uh, and she's also written some children's books that are very specific um, for children who have been adopted or who are in foster care. So um, that is definitely going to be a great conversation that I hope that you will enjoy. Um, I also want to uh, just mention, if you did not catch last week's episode, I focused on FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, kind of did a little introduction to um, that topic, uh, which is very relevant for every foster adoptive and even kinship caregivers Um uh, the, the data is showing that one in 20 school age children in the United States, um, one in every tw- one in 20 have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. And that's not just specifically counting children um, in the child welfare system, um, because when we look at those children, the numbers are even higher. Um, so that's why I when I learned that and I and I recognized because I am a parent of two children diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome that we had adopted, um, I began to realize that, gosh, every adoptive and foster parent needs to understand this because there are so many, I just hit the microphone, sorry. There are so many labels and diagnoses and um, that get attached to our kids. They get that whole alphabet soup um, of letters, right? Uh, and on their IEP and in in their in their records, and um, while you know much of that could be very well true, um, it also could be under the umbrella of an FASD. In other words, because of prenatal alcohol exposure, all of those behavioral symptoms that are showing up and getting identified as ADHD, ODD, RAD. And, and 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 many others, many of many of those behavioral symptoms that we're seeing are really due to the fact that the child was exposed to alcohol in the womb and that alcohol exposure um, impacted the development and the function and the structure of the brain. And therefore we see behaviors 
um, and difficulties because their brain works differently, but yet they get all of these other labels and nobody really looks at it as understanding that one piece. Just recently, uh, because one of my sons qualifies um, as having an intellectual disability and we're working on getting him services and things. And um, so we had to do this intake interview and the, 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 the gentleman who did that, the young man who did that was great, but he sort of got stuck on the ADHD um, and because, because of course my son has that as a diagnosis as well. Um, and he wanted to know how that presents. And, you know, and I said, well, honestly, it's not really ADHD. He, he has trouble focusing. Yes. When he was little, um, it did look like hyperactivity because he had, has impulse control problems. It looks different now that he's 18 years old, um, but he is still impulsive. It just presents a little bit differently, but it's not that I have to peel him off the top of the refrigerator um, because he's bouncing all over the place and can't sit still. Um, it's that he has a hard time focusing, which really is an executive function issue, which executive function that part of the brain is highly impacted by fetal alcohol syndrome. So again, I always have to bring it back to the FAS and it's like, I have to just teach everybody. So um, that's what we have to do. So I hope that you're tuning in and you're taking advantage of that information and, and what I share with you about FASD. It doesn't affect every child in adoptive and foster placements, but it affects, I would have to say, according to the research, um, at least 80% of our kids and most of them are not diagnosed at all, or they are misdiagnosed. So we have to um, pay close attention to the symptoms and understand them. I have written uh, a cornerstone article. I partnered with Focus on the Family, which was a huge honor for me. I partnered with Focus on the Family and I wrote a cornerstone article for them and uh, went out to Colorado Springs to record some video modules that that accompany the article. So we will put a link in the show notes to this episode. If you would like to take the time to read that article, watch those um, those video modules, modules, they're super short, um, but it will give you also a greater understanding um, uh, because we want to provide uh, resources for you um, as foster and adoptive parents so that you can be best equipped for your journey. So speaking of those resources, um, we also have this amazing support group, which those of us who are in this group link arms together. We pray for one another. Uh, we meet three times a month. Well, I'll let you listen to the little commercial, check it out, and I hope you'll consider joining us. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. All right. So in addition to uh, the support group, I offer coaching. If you would like more of a one-on-one -on -one time with me online to uh, kind of navigate through some of those symptoms and consider what 
um, accommodations might best support your kiddo. Um, you can learn more about that at our website as well. Um, and we have workshops that I do online and in person. So we have um, an introduction to FASD. It's a lunch and learn. So if you did listen to last week's episode, it's that information, but deeper. Um, and of course, I have a whole slide deck and then it's live and interactive. And at the end, we do Q&A. So if you're interested in an introduction to FASD workshop, there is one coming up on Tuesday, February 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We call it a lunch and learn, um, but it's free. And we just really want you to be able to really understand this. Not only is it great for parents, but it is great for grandparents, for adult siblings who don't understand. Um, and your child doesn't have to be diagnosed with FASD. You may just be trying to learn about it to figure out if it's something that does apply to your child, which would make this workshop perfect for you. But um, if you already know that this is what you're dealing with, whether or not your child is formally diagnosed, you really want everybody in your child's life to, to understand FASD. So again, adult children, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, babysitters, grandparents, anybody in your child's life spending any amount of time with them, you really want them to have an understanding as well. So it's a great workshop for them and it's free, right? So make sure that you check that out. And then if you want to go deep into FASD, I have uh, a deep dive coming up. It is scheduled. It will begin on February 1st, it is, um, it, I use the facets neurobehavioral model and it's 18 hours worth of content. Uh, and we do it in six workshop sessions. So it's six, three hour sessions online. We use zoom, um, and you'll be able to, um, really spend a lot of time and go deep on that. So that again, it, the first of the six workshops, uh, is February 11th. Um, so it's right around the corner. It's the 18-hour deep dive, and you can sign up for any and all of these workshops and learn more about the, the resources that we have right on our website at justicefororphansny.org. And okay, also subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode um, and follow us, like us. We are on YouTube now, so check us out there if you want to watch the video version of this. And um Let's get to our guest. So Anna Maria, let's see if I can pronounce her name without ruining it. Didio um, is a, has a master's in social work. She is a writer, um, children's book author, and women's advocate. Her life adventure books feature stories about adoption, foster care, and all blended families. Uh, Anna Maria is a mom of two adult daughters, one adopted from Mexico. She lives with her husband, Richard, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Please welcome Anna Maria DiDidio. Hi, Anna Maria. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is great to have you on the show. Um, I was chatting with you a little bit, and I've read your memoir, and I've read your, one of your children's books that you had sent me, and uh, we're going to talk about... Um, all of that shortly. Um, but I, I do want to talk about your adoption story. I read your memoir and I can remember, you know, sitting on the edge of my seat through our adoption experience. We adopted internationally, a different country, but very similar um, experiences. So um, your book is, the title of your book is Love at the Border, an Adoption Adventure. Uh, like I said, I just finished reading it 
Um, I felt like I was on that adventure with you. Um, but let's let's kind of start at the beginning of that story. What led you and your husband, Richard, to pursue adoption? Well, it really began with our struggles uh, with infertility. And they had been uh, around from the beginning. And we persevered through you know, some various medical, medical interventions and had a beautiful baby girl, but then wanted to add to our family. So we had looked into adoption initially when we didn't think uh, the medical world would have the answer for us. And uh, then just had became reacquainted with all of our research and searches and things uh, when it became apparent that uh, our biological miracle was not to be repeated. Wow. So um, what about, so you adopted from Mexico. What led yes. you to Mexico? You know, it was just happenstance. I, I saw uh, an article in our local paper about a church that was hosting a group of children for a summer camp. And the children were from various um, states with, within Mexico. And at the very end of the article, uh, it said, and these most of these children are available for adoption. So by then, the time for an infant had sort of passed us by. So we were looking for, our, our daughter was like five or six years old. So we were looking for a little bit of an older child. And they were all there in this beautiful photo in front of me. So I called the agency and arranged for an information session. And it, it progressed from there. Wow. So... You, your daughter that you did adopt, Priscilla, right? Yes. Tell us about that adoption journey to go get her. What what was that experience like adopting from Mexico? What was the process like? Well, the process just as an onset, I'll say that it's changed significantly. But in our, at the time, many years ago, uh, the first trip that we had arranged by the agency was just to meet her. So we took our, our daughter and uh, the three of us had two kind of dates together, play dates together. We had lunch, went to the playground and just kind of hung out. And she was just a super funny, rambunctious, precocious kid. And we said, oh, this is wonderful. So, uh, but this was after we had already completed the, inter this was a year later after we had completed interviews and paperwork and all those things that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. So we got that call a year later, this there's possibly this wonderful little girl at this particular shelter. Would you like to come and meet her? So we did. So that was uh, in the summer. And then it wasn't till the next summer that we were able to then complete all of the, the, the paperwork and um, we were able to adopt her. So uh, she, she came to live with us on really a tourist visa, which I understand is really not uh, done anymore. And uh, then we returned to Mexico twice to finalize the adoption. So all in all, it was three trips. The last one was two weeks. And uh, that was needed to travel to another state within Mexico to gain her um, uh, passport and other uh, visas to travel to the United States. Wow. So how old was Priscilla when you brought her home officially and she was adopted? Seven. Seven. And so what I know you you detail this quite a bit in your book, the challenges that you you faced as a family, but what were some of those challenges as you brought her home mm -hmm. and you were beginning to become a family? 
Well, it's it's interesting that you say that. Yes, they were challenges, and we knew that from the beginning. People asked, were asking us, "Oh, do you speak Spanish?" And we said, "No, we don't speak Spanish." So they were puzzled, and that didn't turn out to be a, a huge hurdle because children learn so quickly, and the language barrier was was you know did not last forever. But I have to say this, and this is what led me to my writing. Her, her overall, you know, general and extreme sorrow at leaving all that she knew and loved was just tremendous. I mean, she cried and cried for, you know, months. And, it, you know, at some point, I, sometimes I would say that I was so busy, like patting myself on the back and just this wonderful family that recreated. And people were telling us, oh, she's so lucky. She's so lucky to be part of your family. And be in this wonderful situation and have a great sibling. And, and that was true. And I believe that, but it took years to kind of unravel and unpack that and realize the trauma that was all underneath that and all that she had lost. So uh, it, I don't know. I just, it took, it took time to absorb all that. So we tried to help her as much as we could. We maintained those contacts with her caregivers in Mexico and um, and that's the reason, you know, years and years later, I wanted to write to inform and help other adoptive uh, parents that are thinking about those same things. Yeah, because your daughter in Mexico, even though she was living in a shelter, some countries it might be called an orphanage, she was attached to her caregiver. She had yes. healthy attachment there. And then they, because she was available for adoption, she was adopted and then, like you said, moved and my, my four of my children are adopted internationally, so it was very similar. Although when the first three came home, they came home together as siblings, oh. so it was a different adjustment. You know, wasn't as 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 um, mm -hmm. traumatic, mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Um, but but you can understand where they you know we pick a seven year old child up and put them in a completely different culture and a completely different language, and and because she didn't, even though she didn't have parents, she did have caregivers who were caring for right. her and that she was right. attached to. So it was a trauma. So to... it was a double trauma from the, yeah. you, know, you know, adoption in and of itself is the trauma, the primal wound trauma. And yeah. then after, you know, six, seven years is a long time and many memories. So she had all those attachments and, you know, one day just like that, she's living in suburban Philadelphia. That's really, that's really something else. So it took, it took a while. Yeah. And I, I mean, you're, you, it was a challenge with the language. Like you said, she had to, you know, I remember our kids spoke Ukrainian, so we don't mm. speak Ukrainian. So it was a challenge and they did. And it was, it was, it was bittersweet because they lose that language, their, their native language. They learn English, you know, and we have some pet words and phrases that we would still say. Um, and we still do sometimes when we play, uh, you know, a, a wild game of Yahtzee or something. Sometimes we start throwing around the the silly Ukrainian words we remember. But, um, you know, it, it, it they do lose that. So they do learn English, but then it is kind of sad. But, but then your daughter wanted to learn Spanish in school. Um, and that was a trial for her because she had lost it. Right. And then she's learning it again. Right. And you know, it's a little bit challenging to to relearn it. And then you kind of now have that American accent sort of woven in there. So I remember you 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 kind of sharing some of those ups and downs that yes. that she experienced. Yeah. Yeah. We we I, had we had some tutors through the years. 
And it, you know, maybe the time just wasn't quite right. So it, it was a bit of a stop, start, start, stop effort. But when she consistently had, because she wanted that language back, but when she consistently had classes starting in middle school and in high school, and it became more of a routine, then I think her teachers also could hear that her accent was quite beautiful and encouraged it. And then when she got to college that, you know, the fluency came back like that. And it was, it's just a joy, you know, to hear it. And reclaiming that was such a powerful, wonderful force, you know, in her life. And it's really been great for her. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so how old is Priscilla now and how is she doing? She's 28 currently. And wow. she is, I know it, she is, and she is, Oh, I, I just, I'm so proud of her. She's doing wonderfully. She works for a, a nonprofit in the city of Philadelphia in the outreach and education area for a, a women's a, a sexual violence organization. So the Philadelphia Office for Preventing Sexual Violence. And she, she does everything uh, from teaching young, 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 uh, students in, in grade school about safe touching and boundaries and consent. And, uh, and she does this work uh, training she, and, um, and talking about the work they do, the counseling, and uh, she can do this all in Spanish and in English. She is working in some of the uh, Hispanic neighborhoods and schools. That is wonderful. Wonderful. I love that. Love that full circle story that she's mm -hmm, now able mm -hmm. to use, use that. So um, you tell the whole story in your book. Again, it's Love at the Border, an Adoption Adventure. Where can our listeners find a copy of your book if they'd like to check it out? Well, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So Amazon, just search uh, my name, Anna Maria DiDio. And um, also Barnes and Noble uh, ordering online. Nice. Wonderful. So, oh, and the Love at the Border is also available as a as an audio book. So there's a oh, wonderful great. woman that narrates and does all the children's voices and the Spanish so beautifully. So it's really kind of really really fun to listen to for me. Oh wow, that is great! I love that. That's good to know. So also, you, I have a copy of your children's book, um, the first book, Many People to Love. Yes. What inspired you to start writing children's books? Well. You know, after the the memoir, this this whole question of trauma was so important to me, and I thought that I still had more things to say and wanted to kind of bridge that gap between adoptive parents and children, because I was still hearing, you know, I joined adoption groups and and uh, online groups, and I was still hearing, mm, you know what. Uh, he doesn't really know he's adopted yet. I mean, parents, there, there still mm. seems to be some, and it's not a lot, but the communication I thought just needed to be more open and, and more honest. And I thought the best way to do that was with a children's book, kind of recounting our journey bit by bit. So all three of my children's books are inspired by our, our actual events and I, I tried to pull apart those scenes from, you know, cultural assimilation to um, the, the, the middle book is, is how I wonder where you are. And, and children who don't look or sound or, or anything like their parents should be 
questioning. Where, where did they come from? Mm. What, what's this all about? And then the last book is Carla the Conqueror. And it, it sort of uh, recounts our daughter's struggles with reading. I mean, if English is not your first language, school will be very different for you. And and that those kinds of adjustments take time. And I just wanted to talk a little bit more about those and highlight those for parents, adoptive parents. I, yeah. And I love that because I noticed from having read your memoir, I knew the stories. And then in the, in the first book, which is the, the copy that I have of, of, of the first child's book, I recognize you incorporate some of those stories, like the brushing the hair as an opportunity to sort of bond um, so you include some of those, yes. the, the positive things and then the challenging things, which are very yes. real also. So the audience obviously is children. So are you targeting, it's really for adoptive and foster children? Yes. Yes. So yeah. for that read, read aloud, read along experience that these topics are not easy to, uh, to broach for, for children or adults and that it's the perfect time to raise them when you see them, you know, in a book and are able to um, kind of affirm that that it's okay. It's it's normal to have these kind of conversations. I know I look like I'm in the dark all of a sudden yeah, for anybody the, who's uh, watching. The, the light, <laughs> something happened my light, to light. My, I know I wasn't paying attention and the, the light in the room that I'm in is one of those lights that goes off if there's not uh, been movement and I'm far enough in the corner that there's not movement, but then there's this overhead light. So now I look like yes, I have this halo yes, glow. Halo. Yes, you look very and, um, and I normally have another light on in here. And for some reason it's not on and it looks like it's, it needs to be charged. So if you're watching this by YouTube, I look like I'm in the dark a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so the three children, give us the title of each of the three children's books. Uh, so the first was many people to love and uh, just the the transition from um, one country to another. The girl in the, the book is adopted from Colombia. Note that I could not write any more about my daughter from Mexico because she, because she would strangle me if I wrote any more about her. So I changed the story up a little bit. Adopted from Colombia and her transition from her caregiver to her uh, family that's that wants to love her. Then uh, the second book is How I Wonder Where You Are. And Carla, who is the main character, is you know shopping with her mom, out doing things. And she's just noticing that many people say to her sister, oh, you look so much like your mom. And she she's really thinking, I, I wish I looked like somebody. She just feels you know, that, that, um, alone. And, um, so the book emphasizes just the wondering about biological roots, adoption trauma. And then the third book is Carla, the conqueror and Carla experiences uh, a lack of confidence and, and anxiety when she's asked to read aloud in her, uh, in her classroom. So Interesting though, the, the what happens in the book is that she she hides under the desk. I don't know if you if you get, had a chance to read the book, but that actually happened to my daughter, and she did get detention for that. So I was very surprised that um, that's what that's what happened to her. But there's a little bit more grace given in in my book. Love that grace, right? Um, so where are these also available yes, on Amazon, Amazon and, and, and Barnes and Noble? Yes. Barnes and Noble. Wonderful. Do you have a website where listeners can, can connect yes. with you? 
Yes, I have. Uh, my website is amddo.com. That's my first two initials, my last name, amddo.com. And there are some photos, some recipes that we use as a family. Uh, at some point, I'll be starting a, a newsletter, um, but there's some other articles, sort of um, pictures. I write articles on Medium and um, just some general information about our, our family and our story. Love that. And we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes to your sure. website so our Thank listeners you. can check that out. What are you doing these days? Are, is, is, are you focusing on writing and promoting your books? Yes. What else are you up to? Well, a couple of things. Uh, I, I've started writing a new book for middle grade. I'm calling it middle grade plus. It's not quite, you know, third and fourth grade. It's, it's a little bit, but it's not, it's not like late high school, college. It's the story of a, of a girl adoption does figure into the story, uh, but the story of a family uh, that's learning about adoption from another little girl. It's, it's the plot is still taking shape now. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm also working uh, within the Philadelphia school district in a program called writing matters. And uh, I'm working with eighth graders. The, the course is called how to write a children's book. And Writers Matter is, uh, again, a program within the Philadelphia school system to encourage writing as a way to build confidence, resilience. And these kids are all talented writers who, over the years, it's it's in elementary school, have written essays and poems. And, and so this is our, our chance to kind of uh, pull that message together in a children's book. And with the thought that maybe they have a message to their younger selves, maybe a younger sibling, or maybe a message they want to give to the world. So we're just piloting this program now uh, in a local school. And I'll, I'll let you know how, how it turns out. We've just started it. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. I love I love incorporating writing as, as someone who has written one book so far. Um, I just fell in love with the writing process and and being able to do that. And I'm... I'm itching to get another book out there. I have an outline. I'm, I'm, I'm working Good. on one. Good. Um, yeah. So I um, have to make that a priority uh, in the new year here, but I am doing that. So let me ask you this, Anna Maria, what through, because so many of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents. Um, what would you say during your parenting years was, you know, maybe if you could narrow down, narrow it down to what was what was one of your biggest challenges and one of your biggest successes? Well, the biggest challenge was realizing what this process was all about, that I wasn't going to be the, the, the center of her life and be the mom that I was for my biological child. And, you know, just as a kind of an anecdote, I remember one time when there was a like a back to school night and uh, Priscilla, you know, had had uh, in the hall was artwork. And the theme of the artwork was you were to draw a picture of someone that was important to you. And so here I was, I was like, like skipping down the hallway thinking, oh, I'm going to see this big picture of myself. You know, she was going to draw. I'm the most important person to her. No, no. She she drew a teacher and and said something about the teacher um, had just had a baby and she wanted to hold that baby. It was just something that was so unrelated to our day to day family life, and just the time that it took. Again, you're 
thought your question on the biggest challenge, this the time that it took for her to feel, you know, part of our family and part yeah. of us as a as a unit and feel feel the love that was there. The love was always there, but I used to say to her, you know, let love in, let love in. It's there. And it just it just took a long time. And I was always impatient for her to just just do it. And and I, I had to I, I had to, you know, back off and and be at her timetable and, and see what yeah. she was needing. So. um, So then but the biggest success is, is, you know, these years later. We've we've traveled together. We we she my the older daughter lives has been living far away for a, for a while and she's local and as i mentioned working for this nonprofit so she stops by the house we do things together and it, there's no greater you know satisfaction and wonderfulness than having your your daughter at 28 still want to do things with you and call you and so that's really i'm, I'm just thrilled oh i love that love that so like I mentioned, most of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents, and I always like to wrap up uh, the show with a question that will um, encourage them. So Anna Marie, if you could if you could um, share some encouraging words, what would you say to our listeners who may be um, in that boat right now mm-hmm. that you were in when, when, when Priscilla first came home in those early years where attachment is hard and, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to grow your family and bond. And there's, you know, all those big feelings right. and challenges. Um, what would you say to encourage our listeners? Well, I always had this three pronged, you know, strategy that I, I kind of went back to, and when one of them would falter a little bit, I would go to the other. And that is first networking with other adoptive parents was so important. Yeah. It was just to hear someone else say the exact same things that we were experiencing was so validating and made me realize I was not losing my whole life. It was just so interesting to, and, and that we, we kept those contacts as, as much as we could. Um, then the next thing was doing, doing research. I mean, really figuring out what, what, what was I, what, what did I really know about this whole process? You know, we had for a number of agencies that we were involved with initially had some reading requirements and, you know, I did those, but how much has I really delved into the, the topic of, you know, trauma and attachment and adjustment. And, and I started to do that and realize, oh, everything that's happening has already been part of, uh, you know, literature. And, 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 and so it really was another eye-opening experience that I didn't uh, do that earlier. And then through the years, we also relied on professional help. I mean, mm-hmm. there, we always wanted to provide someone for Priscilla to be able to talk to that was not us. I mean, what we don't have the answers for everything, nor should we. And and she may have wanted to say something. And we so we had a number of really good like revelations <laughs> and movements forward in a positive uh, direction uh, due to the therapist that we changed as she as she changed. Yeah, such good advice. So um, network with other parents. Do not. Do not do this journey alone, right? Because it can mm. be very isolating if we let it. Totally, um, yeah. Which, which, yeah, which would be good. Research, which I love because I think, especially us moms, that's what we, you know, we need to know something. We go after it like the FBI, right? We're digging in and, and doing that research. Um, and then 
um, professional help um, mm -hmm. whenever and wherever is necessary, whether it be for our child or for our whole for family, us. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a family. We did, yeah. yeah, we did all of that. Yeah. As a family. And then, yeah. you know, the beginning, it was a play therapist. And then when she was getting into teenage years, it was a whole different, you know, kettle of fish. So we had yes. different yeah. needs. So, um, and I mentioned that and if you read the book, we were, yeah, we were, yeah. it was, Anyway, so yeah, quite a journey, and uh, I applaud all of you uh, parents out there that are that are doing this and struggling and having these to you know celebrate the minor victories and keep going and reading and it's just uh, it's it's definitely a process. Yeah, and and it's an encouragement that you have a relationship now with your daughter because in those early days. Um, and you describe some of those challenges um, in great detail. So um, you've come a long way and it's great to hear that, that you are able to enjoy yeah. doing activities and things with your daughter and that she's thriving and doing so well yes. as well. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, again, the, uh, the title of the book, let me make sure I get that right, is, let me see if I can find it. My goodness, it is. I know it's Love at the Border, right? Love at the Border. Right. I usually have a copy of the book sitting next to me and it's over on my desk. Uh, Love at the Border, an adoption adventure. Uh, in addition to three beautiful children's books that are really um, written and geared toward uh, reading with your adoptive and foster children, which are just on topics such as adoption, grief and trauma, um, identity, all of the things. So they yes. are a great resource for every family. Thank so you. we- we will put a link in the show notes to your website, Anna Maria. Thank you so much for all that you're doing, for sharing your story and for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Same here. What a great conversation. I hope you will check out Anna Maria's book. Um, it, was, it was very, we could all, I think that we all can relate to her story as she unpacks those challenges of a, a, attachment and her daughter was angry and cried a lot and acted out a lot. And there was a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of challenges that I think that we can all relate to. So I hope you check it out. We will put a link in the show notes to her website. Um, you can check out her books um, and hopefully you'll, you'll be able to read them and her children's books. Again, I believe are a great resource that we can read. Um, if you have younger children, um, you can read, use that for reading time. Um, so I hope you were encouraged by Anna Maria's story today. Um, in addition to uh, encouraging you, we like to equip you. So don't forget about all of our FASD training uh, that we have. You'll go to our website, justicefororphansny.org to just check out the, the, the support group, our trainings, uh, what we have available to you there. Um, I hope you'll take advantage of that. Um, and again, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have you along for the journey. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans and check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.